And I want you to take your Bible. Go with me to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 10. If you understand much about the book of Hebrews, we understand that the Holy Spirit was uh, speaking through a human author. We're not sure who that is. But he was trying to encourage a group of Hebrew Christians, Jewish Christians, in the city of Rome. And these Hebrew Christians <clears throat> obviously had converted to Jesus. They had left Judaism, which was a system of man-made uh, salvation through human effort. Of course, we know there's no salvation found through human effort. There was great pressure placed upon these Hebrew Christians to return back to Judaism, almost like a hybrid form of Christianity, a mixture of Judaism uh, and, and the gospel, uh, mixing human effort with Jesus. You know, 50% good works, 50% Jesus, <laughs> or whatever. But the truth is, ladies and gentlemen, as you understand and as you know, there's no mixture of anything for salvation other than Jesus alone. and His righteousness, His atonement, His sacrifice on the cross. And what He did was totally and exclusively sufficient for our salvation. Uh, we, we know what the Scripture says, that there is no salvation in any other, or found in any other name, or any other uh, uh, one other than Christ. So these Hebrew Christians were being pressured through persecution even to revert back to that old system, the old covenant, the old way of thinking, uh, a, a, a gospel that was a works-based gospel. They were feeling this squeeze in their life to go back to that. And all through the book of Hebrews, we find that the encouragement and the exhortation is to persevere, to press on, that Jesus is superior. The main theme of Hebrews is the superiority of Jesus Christ alone. He's greater. He's better. You see that word used in the book. He's better. He's better than Moses. He's better than the angels. He's better than Melchizedek. He's better than Abraham. He's better than all the Old Testament sacrifices. He's better. The reason that the Spirit of God was presenting this to these Hebrew Christians is to persuade them that, listen, you do not want to revert back and go back. Jesus is better. So as we turn to chapter 10, notice verse 19 with me. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, not a dead way, not a way that, 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 that uh, is lifeless, no, 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 not a powerless way, it is a new, fresh, it's the new covenant, Jesus said this blood represents the new covenant, that blood that He shed. He says it's a new way, a living way. It's the gospel way, which Jesus has consecrated for us through the veil. In other words, Jesus went into that eternal holy of holies, sacrificed His life, 
He shed His blood, His innocent blood, as the only sacrifice for sin. That is to say, His flesh, He entered in, He consecrated through His body, through the sacrifice of His flesh on the cross. I love verse 21. And having an high priest over the house of God. And we do have a high priest. Thank God chapter 4 is very clear. Chapter 2 even in the book refers to Jesus as our high priest. He's the high priest who's able to help us and to come alongside of us and to give us everything that we need. Uh, Chapter 4 verses 14 through 16 talks about that our high priest Jesus has passed into the heavens. He is sympathetic. He enters in to our pain, our suffering. And because of that, we can enter into through prayer the, the, the Holy of Holies. We can come before the very throne of God itself and find grace, and find mercy, and find help in the time of need. Thank God we have that high priest. Uh, Chapter 7 says that He ever lives to make intercession for us. What a Savior! (laughs) How glorious Jesus is! So based on all of that, verse 19, verse 20, verse 21, He says, in verse 22, He gives three exhortations. And they all begin with, let us. Well, verse 22, he says, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. That's our spiritual body. That's, that's, that's the true us, the inner us, the, the inner man, the true person. We've been washed. <laughs> We've been cleansed. Uh, we've had our conscience, which at one time was evil and sinful, but now it's been sprinkled with, just like that mercy seat. It's been sprinkled and cleansed and covered by the blood of the Lord Jesus, the eternal Lamb of God. So verse 22, he says, let's draw near. Then verse 23, he says, let's hold fast. Let us. Let us draw near. Let us hold fast. The profession of our faith without wavering. Our testimony, our profession of leaving Judaism, let's put it in context, of leaving self-righteousness and self-sufficiency and self-effort. Let's hold fast that confidence and profession that we have in Christ. The profession and confession of our faith. Faith in Christ alone. He says, you hold fast to that. Don't give that up. Don't go back to how your spiritual life or your pseudo-spiritual life, if I can say it that way, how it used to be. Don't, 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 don't go back. 22 says, draw near. <laughs> 23 says, hold fast. And then there's a final let us statement. <laughs> Not salad, okay? This is let us. Let us draw near. Let us hold fast. And then he kind of ends this section, or at least begins the ending in verse 24 where he says, and let us consider one another to provoke to love and to good works. And just for a a moment tonight, I want to hone in and zero in on verse 24. This third let us statement. This third form of exhortation to these believers, in light of everything he's been saying, let us consider one another 
to provoke one another to love. That word love is an interesting word. That's agape. That's God-like love. That's Calvary-type love. That's Jesus' love. That's the kind of love that Jesus has for us and has demonstrated to us and shows to us. The love of the Father that He's bestowed upon us. That love based on 1 Corinthians 13 that we are to exhibit to others. And here the writer says, look, let's, let's consider one another to provoke. Let's, let's, let's focus on that word, provoke. It's an interesting term. It comes from a word in the original which physicians would use to describe when someone had a high fever. And it describes the process that the body goes through when that high fever would begin to manifest itself in someone's physical body. We would say uh, it carries the idea of a high temperature, a fever. And it's the idea of exciting someone, something being stirred up, provoked, incited. Uh, uh, one of the things that we like to say is we talk about being poked. And that literally is the idea behind it. The Holy Spirit is saying, hey, let's get somebody fired up. Let's fire people up. Let's, let's get them heated. You're like, preacher, I didn't think we're supposed to get people heated. Well, uh, there's a negative connotation in the New Testament that we're not supposed to intentionally drive somebody to unrighteous anger. Okay, We're not to intentionally discourage someone. That's not what he's saying. He's saying the very opposite of that. You, stir, you intentionally stir somebody up. You, as we like to say, and I'm going to use this yardstick as a, you poke somebody. Now, we, we've heard the phrase, don't poke the bear. Well, here's what he's saying. Hey, you go poke the bear, but in the right way. You go poke the person. You poke somebody. You, you get them stirred up. So as we close tonight, I want to close out with this little simple thought. How do, you, how do you poke somebody? How do you provoke somebody to love and good works? How do you stir somebody up? It's interesting. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, listen to what our Bible says. For we are His workmanship. That's, that's talking about uh, we are uh, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, that God has created us for good works. He saved us. He's, he's converted us and transformed us from the inside out to good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in these good works. 1 Timothy 6, 18, uh, Paul admonishes Timothy to encourage those who had wealth uh, to, to, to be rich, not in financial gain necessarily, that shouldn't be their goal, but that they should be rich in good works. And all of us, regardless of the size of our bank account or our portfolio, all of us can be rich in good works. I'm reminded of what is said about Jesus in the book of Acts, that as, as He has described, that He went about doing good. 
that the life of Jesus for those 33 and a half years that He lived in this world, He went around doing good. And God said, I want you to poke people, provoke people, stir brothers and sisters up to good works and to love. So let me give you four thoughts as we close. First of all, if we're going to do this, we have to examine the scriptural truth. Verses 19, 20, and 21 uh, The Holy Spirit gives us the very basis why this is so important. And it, friend, it is because Jesus has already accomplished the work of salvation for us. And He uses this as a motivation for these Hebrew Christians. Man, I I can't think of any greater way to motivate somebody or to provoke somebody or to encourage somebody or get somebody stirred up than to take them right back to the gospel to the very heart of what the gospel is and Christianity. Christianity 101. Jesus Christ was sent by God the Father as the infinite eternal Lamb and He came as that perfect sacrifice for us in our place, but God commended His love toward us, Romans 5, 8, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ Jesus died for us. Wow. He shed His blood for us. He gave His body up as a sacrifice for us. And He paid the way. And He atoned for my sin. He satisfied all the righteous demands of a holy God for me in my place vicariously so that I can know Him and be saved and know the Father and be transformed and be, be, be born again. I don't know about you, friend, but to the true child of God, that excites us. That motivates me to want to love Him more and love others more and love the brothers and love sinners and do right and serve and do good works. Man, when I examine the scriptural truth, all the motivation that God's given us. So that's number one. I want to poke somebody and provoke somebody and get somebody stirred up, then we need to examine the scriptural truth together. That's why I love church and I love times when, when man, we're exposed to the Word and the Word of God is preached and presented and I get fired up and I get excited about it because that's, that's the motivation. It's not a guilt trip. We're not guilting people into good works and love. We're simply presenting the truth of the gospel of Jesus. And if you're a born-again person, the Holy Spirit is working on the inside and drawing us towards sanctification and Christ-likeness. So we examine the truth of Scripture. But then number two, I believe that in verse 24, he says you embrace your personal responsibility. Because in verse 24, he says, now look, you, you consider one another. The word consider there is an interesting word. It literally means to look at others or to look out or watch out for others like a watchdog. And I'm to be a watchdog for other Christians. I'm to watch out for their own spiritual well-being. And he says, listen, I want you to be aware that you have a personal responsibility as a fellow believer to come alongside someone and encourage them and to provoke them in the right way, to help stir them up, to love God more, love people more, love sinners more, and 
for good works. That, that, that's my responsibility, to go provoke and encourage somebody. It's one of the main tasks that I have and you have as a believer. Is I have, you have a responsibility to my fellow Christians and brothers and sisters in the family of God. It's my responsibility to help stir them up. So we examine the scriptural truth. We embrace our own personal responsibility. And then number three, this is just obvious. I think it's logical. But if we're really going to stir people up, provoke them to good works, love, then we have to encourage verbally. That means one-on-one in conversation, in our friendships, relationships. We verbally encourage people to love God more and people to do right. Hey, listen, I want to encourage you. One of the greatest encouragers in my life was Brother Richard Cordell. Many of you remember him. You know him. And man, I can't tell you how many times Brother Cordell would come alongside of me and he'd say, hey, 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 I believe, I believe in you. You can do it. You can do it. Oh, man, if anybody can do it, God can help you to do it. And you can, man, I believe in you. And boy, when Brother Cordell believed in you, he believed in you. I want to be that way for people. I want to, you know what Brother Cordell was doing? He was poking us. He was stirring me up. I want to be that kind of Christian where I verbally encourage others, edify them, build them up intentionally at the right time. Sometimes with words that may be a little hard to take, not harsh, but hard to take, the wounds of a friend, speaking the truth in love, but I've got to be willing to verbally encourage, come alongside someone. So we examine the scriptural truth. We embrace our own personal responsibility. We verbally encourage people. And then the final thought I have is this. If we're really going to stir people up and provoke them to love and good works and to be kind of like God's instrument in their life, used by the Lord to encourage them to greater genuine spirituality, then I have to exhibit consistently the virtues of genuine spirituality in my life. I exhibit consistently those virtues. Somebody said this, your talk talks, but your walk talks louder than your talk talks. See, there's no sense in me trying to tell you to do something for God or what's right or growing in love and godliness if I'm not doing that in my life, if I'm not exhibiting those qualities. So the Lord says, listen, you examine the scriptural truth. You embrace your own personal responsibility. You encourage verbally. And then you live it out and exhibit the very aspects of genuine spirituality that we're trying to encourage other people to embrace. So may the Lord help us this week to pray and ask Jesus, Lord, who can I help poke and prod and encourage and stir up for you, for genuine, godly, Christ-like love and for these disciplines and virtues of genuine spirituality. Let's pray together tonight. Our Father, thank You for Your Word, Your truth, 
Empower us to stir other people up, to do what's right, to love you more. Help us in our example to be intentional with others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.